From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. What is the role of a lean leader, and what is the humbling daily work that goes into this task? How can one humbly assume the very ambitious role of leading others in earnest lean practice? And how does one prepare for the heroic actions by creating a modest, steady cadence of productive daily work? These are the types of questions explored by Karen Gaudet in her new LAI book titled Steady Work. Good morning, and welcome to WLAI, the podcast of LAI. I am honored to be here today with Karen Gaudet, a leader at LAI, and previous to that, a leader at Starbucks, where she helped roll out lean practice across many stores. Karen has written an excellent book titled Steady Work, which was recently released and has been getting a lot of praise. So welcome to the podcast, Karen. It's great to be here, Tom. Thanks. Let me ask you the most important question first. What type of coffee did you have this morning and how did you prepare it? Oh, that's a great question. So I had a uh, Gold Coast coffee and I had it by French Press. Excellent. And Gold Coast is land of Latin American, Indonesian, and aged matcha coffee. And do you store the beans already ground in the freezer, in the fridge? Oh, my. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> not in the freezer. Me, Karen, tell me. Not in the freezer, not in the fridge, the whole beans. And then I grind them as I, right before I brew. Excellent. And have you perfected your home brewing method? Uh, yes. Well established, well perfected for sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you for that. I had tea this morning. So let's talk about steady work. It's a really wonderful book and I, I don't want to do, give too much of a summary, but it's a great encapsulation of how you learned and shared kind of lean methods of work, work improvement at Starbucks. And let's just see this as a narrative. So the beginning of the book, you share a kind of problem and you establish where you were working at Starbucks and what type of problems the company was facing at the time. Can you talk about that and just kind of establish the need, the situation that led up to the work you did with Lean. Yeah, sure. One of the nuances to this story, which isn't necessarily readily obvious in the beginning, but the real problem to solve in what this story depicts is the problem of the leader and how the leader shows up as an effective component of the business in implementing uh, the strategy of the organization and how that connects a direct customer of the organization to all of its components and the work that needs to get done. For me, I had this opportunity to share how I navigated this leadership journey and solving the problems that I had while learning how to do this work differently and being an effective leader within my organization that I had responsibility for and really becoming of service to the customers who were receiving a significantly 
inconsistent experience, which was equating to significant loss in financial dollars as an organization. We were throwing out millions of dollars of coffee. Customers were not happy. The satisfaction of the customer had gone far below where we would ever want it to be. And so me as a leader, having a significant problem, as many of my peers did at the same time, you know, how do we begin to show up in a way that adds value back into the system and actually fulfills the promise to the customers that we were all striving for? What's really interesting to me, Karen, is that you shared this kind of problem solution almost systematically. So maybe when you initially face the problem or when somebody who's not trained in lean or systems thinking or something would say the problem was we were throwing out too many beans. Customers were waiting too long in line, you know, and that's the presenting situation. So it's almost twofold. It's a question of how do you learn to see beyond the problem, but almost kind of politely asking you to back up and tell us what was literally showing up as the problem that was initially tackled to solve. The initial problem that presented itself was that customers were having obviously an inconsistent experience. And we were through that recognizing that what was happening in the economy, as we started to take a really close look at the financial model, we were throwing out an incredible amount of coffee, millions of dollars worth of coffee. However, the customers who were showing up at the front doors of the cafes could not get the coffee that they were looking for. So the inequity of those two situations Right, led us to figure out or understand and try and discover, okay, what is it about how that work is getting done that we are on one hand throwing out a ton of coffee and at the same time the customers aren't getting what they're requesting. And that sparked uh, the investigation, if it were, uh, into what was happening, what was causing that problem. And what were some of the things you guys discovered, again, for now, just in the literal operations as opposed to the managerial practices? Yeah, absolutely. And I share in the story how part of the work that was occurring at that time is that baristas would show up into the cafes in the morning and their role would be to grind a five pound bullet of coffee and they would prepare that to be uh, brewed throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, if it wasn't used, it would then get thrown out. And during the day, the process of brewing was done in such a manner that the time it took to actually brew the coffee and the people that were available to actually brew it in time when the customer needed it didn't match up. And so the baristas would, would scoop and brew coffee at one cadence and the demand that the customers were actually requesting for coffee was at a different cadence. And so the gap between those two things, how the work was being done and how the customers were actually ordering the coffee didn't match up, which created a gap, which created the waste. At the time, you and others probably were looking at these problems with a different frame, kind of analyzing them and assessing the root cause for reasons that probably evolved as you all delved into and explored this new way of working. Oh, absolutely. We were faced with getting close to how the work was done and what our assumptions were versus what the reality was and how it was actually being done was where the learning was. And so as we went through the process of each one of us getting intimately close to observing how the work was being done and recognizing where the problems existed inside each one of the cafes. Okay, so 
I'm kind of skipping ahead here because I, I want to talk about standardization and steady work, but I, I have to ask, why weren't you guys standing there watching the problems in the first place? Well, see, we thought we were. So one of the prevalent behaviors, and it likely exists in other organizations, but clearly in fast casual food as a leader is to actually be able to survey the landscape and see very quickly multiple things that are happening when you enter into the cafe location. And so you may very quickly glance at across the people, the different machinery, the different types of work that are happening, but that does not necessarily mean you actually know how that work is being done and particularly if all of those pieces of work are being done differently every time someone else touches it you would have no way of as a leader to know the 35 different ways the 40 different baristas actually did that work and so we may have assumed that we knew it we may have known the general topic of work that was happening but to know the actual details of the approach to the work we didn't know that prior to that period of time. Were you perhaps expected or assumed to be looking at other things? Clearly, we had full responsibility for the profit and loss statement of the business that we had responsibility for. So we knew a great deal about the business. So we knew a great deal about the people side of the business. We knew a great deal about the product side of the business and the customer side of the business. However, the approach to how those things were done that delivered the results for the organization, right, uh, was done in varying different ways across so many different locations. And so unless you, you know, at that time, we spent a lot of our time talking about those things versus actually fully understanding how they were being completed. Okay. Well, one of the things you discuss at length in the book is the notion and the value of standardization, which, as you say, can set you free. And can you explain what that means and how that applied to this situation? For sure. Uh, so the relevance of standardization is, and as it was applied in our situation, was to create a common way that the work was actually being done. So it, it took this environment of many different components of work and whether it's brewed coffee or blended beverages or warm breakfast sandwiches based on what the customers were ordering and it took the work that was involved in producing each one of those products to deliver them to the customer that was done in varying different ways and created a common routine for each type of work and not only would we follow the same basic routine of how that work was done the way in which people learned how to approach those routine was then also common. And so it was a leveling of a mindset for the entire population of operations personnel, as well as other leaders around how work was getting done that would then deliver on those results. And so the standardization of each of those routines or common routines of how did that work was done enabled us to then see problems in the same way start to identify how to solve problems in a similar way. It helped us determine, depending on the level of the problem, whether the problem existed inside how the work was being done to standard or not, and or if it was more of a systemic issue, who really owned solving that problem. And so we were able to better utilize resources and become much more productive in the problem solving process as each person was aligned to solving the right level and scope of problem based on their work. 
Can you elaborate on just, again, this notion standardization can set you free? Because I think that a lot of folks view the notion of standard work as something that's a constraint and a limitation and a, a kind of narrow way of directing people to do work. And can you explain why it's not that? So in our situation at the time, clearly we felt the same thing in different ways going in where the work of being a barista is very artistic, highly creative. And most of what gets done is the expression of basically the love for the customer and the product that you're delivering for that customer. And so we too struggled with trying to understand how standardizing or coming up with common work routines wouldn't hamper that. Mm -hmm. um, and what we came to actually experience as we practiced was that the routine or standardization of the common tasks that existed inside of making a latte or assembling a latte or any other type of product, that's not really where the artisanal pieces come in. And that the expression of um, innovation and creativity actually comes from having a baseline that we're all common around and then solving the problems based on what's happening that actually then allows you to express that creativity and the innovative spirit and in trying to solve problems in a very creative way. And in the example of being a barista, engaging with a customer right there on the front line, the standardization and routine approach enabled them to engage with the customers on a level that, that we didn't quite fully realize before at that period of time because the work, certain parts of the work became routine. They were able to actually lift their heads up and engage with the customer in ways that became much more personalized versus looking down, grappling with the stress that can be created because of the waste that exists inside the work prior to that period of time. So the standard work helped identify the best way to accomplish a series of tasks and make that kind of routine, the baseline. For sure. Yes, absolutely. And that had a kind of liberating effect by freeing people from having to think about how to do it that way every time and focus, I guess, get in the habit of doing the best way every time. Freeing absolutely. them to, to be with the yeah. customer more. Absolutely. and. Uh, one of the other nuances that exists in the business is that there's often uh, sharing of baristas from one cafe to the next cafe and or you're you know consistently bringing in uh, newer team members. And so this standardization also played out in that aspect in which um, you could bring on new team members and or trade from one cafe to the next cafe and create the same level of customer experience because you could be productive very quickly in how that work was done and kind of apply that creativity to the customer experience through the dialogue with the customer, not trying to figure out how to get the work done that time. And it also seems to play a, a key role in continuous improvement in that you establish the best way as common practice. And then you, I guess, invite or engage the people doing the work in finding ways to raise that standard work. Did that happen? Absolutely. It lent itself to the ability to improve on 
the quality of the beverage. So whether it's how to steam milk or even the development of new beverages, so flat white and others, right? So it, it opens up your ability to think about creative problem solving right. if you're problem solving off a standard and or to drive a standard to the next level. Awesome. <laughs> so that's the kind of external work of establishing, let's call it steady work in the stores and helping. That's a one form of countermeasure to the problems that were showing up. But it feels like in your book, you, you kind of posit there had to be a parallel change. And that's personally in what you and other managers saw as their role, as how you showed up in the organization. Mm-hmm. What kind of changes did this force upon you? How did it challenge you to rethink the way that you were leading people in um, trying to lead improvement work or, or dare we say it, transformation work? First and foremost, it was uh, interrogated our own reality for myself and for many of my peers in assuming that we had the solutions or how to solve problems by being distant from those problems. We recognize very quickly, I recognize very quickly for myself that I really didn't know. And when we would be on our, you know, traditional Monday calls reviewing what had been happening in the business and reviewing the results or the reports and a discussion of different gaps would, would, uh, you know, entail. And instead of presuming we knew the answers or what was happening within those problems, we developed the behavior of actually recognizing what well, we actually need to go see what, what is actually happening to better understand what we think the problem is. And so that was a, a key differentiator in how we began to lead very differently as a collective leadership team and as individuals. So we would spend our time going to see and more deeply understanding the problems based on how the work was being done versus sitting on a phone and assuming we knew we had the answers. You have a, I think it's a chapter title called Let Me Fix That For You. So what did that say about your previous attitude in terms of problem solving? You know, as a leader, you're in this, you're in the business of serving others and you, you get your work done through working through others. And it, it can be in, incredibly intimidating if you are ineffective in that role of actually being able to work through others and produce the objective or the financial outcome. And so you attach yourself to um, having great answers and fixing things for people pretty quickly versus going through the process of actually understanding how they get that work done to produce the result. And then how do you become an effective leader and coach to actually coach them to being their best performer in delivering on the result? And that transformation of how you identify yourself and the value you create in the system is pretty significant. And so you move from let me fix that for you to let me help you fix that for yourself. You start to identify the fact that how can you help people be their best self versus then being the equation of how you represent yourself as a leader. It must really require a big internal shift in how you get, say, (laughs) validation, recognition, reward. Absolutely. It's much easier to jump in 
and push whoever's supposed to be doing that work out of the way and do that work for them. It is, uh, it's much faster. (laughs) You could talk yourself into saying that. And you might also convince yourself that there's a benefit to that approach, but it is not necessarily the most sustainable approach because then they are dependent on you consistently coming in and actually doing that. And you could very well easily argue that doesn't develop the person. It's not the greatest respect for the person who has work that actually is to do. And again, it it harkens back to something I think I noted earlier, which is this is one of those insights that are easy to have after the fact. That it mm-hmm. it's kind of easy now and to present as a as a truth, but I wonder if it was hard personally to kind of live this to show up in that manner. It was extremely difficult in the moment of time. It is like a metamorphosis and feeling feeling every moment of it as it is happening. As much as you can look back on it, or I can look back on it with an objective lens at this point there was no denying that it was happening in the moment and having to recognize every day uh, how to approach things differently the following day because the work was changing. How the work was being done was absolutely changing. And your work as the leader and attachment to that work was changing on a daily basis. We needed to deliver for the people, for the customer, and for the business. Were there demonstrable results? What metrics, KPIs, what happened? Yeah, so coffee waste went down, (laughs) first and foremost. Productivity went up. We were operating somewhere in the nature in the mid-20s of productivity and how we calculated it at that point in time and went north of 30, 32. So we had significant gains in productivity. Additionally, we had much lower turnover. So the turnover rates of people coming in and out of the business went down. And then the internal promotion rates also went up significantly, meaning the number of team members that were developed and promoted to higher levels within the organization increased dramatically. Did you guys evolve your KPIs as the program went on to acknowledge other key metrics? Yeah, absolutely. The the customer metrics that we're seeing improvement in regards to overall satisfaction and then the quality measures and the time measures associated to the customer service directly, those improved. And that then started to inform the other measures of improvement as we went. So we started off with understanding the direct impact of the customer and the business And then intrinsically, as different team members built their capability through problem solving, we started to realize the people uh, improvement measures and recognizing that we were gaining on that end too. So the improvement showed up over time across the business metrics. They just weren't always in the beginning readily apparent. So we we grew to understand them as we improved our own capability. Hmm. Okay. So we are in mid-April. 2020, living in the time of pandemic. And it's a little much to present lean as a countermeasure to all problems, great and small. And that said, it does feel like there's a profound takeaway from your book when you discuss the ways that this lean operating system and the steady work that you guys were able to establish 
helped Starbucks, these very specific stores that were impacted by the tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. And I, I wanted to ask if you can talk a little bit about that and reflect on, on ways that, I guess, lessons you learned, takeaways from that experience, how they might be relevant today. Yeah. So, so back at that time, and it's one of those examples, I suppose, where we didn't recognize it in the moment. And then looking back on it, it became more obvious in that the daily problem solving that was happening as we were learning this new way of working together and leading together was building our understanding and our ability to think with most things and the system and how it was operating in regards to giving you the fundamentals of how to adjust on demand rate. So staffing mm -hmm. to demand based off of the work. So clearly when the Newtown tragedy occurred, we were practiced at that point, my immediate team, and were able to almost as second nature, leverage the system to help us understand and apply basic thinking to what was occurring, meaning how to adjust based off of the incredible increase in demand. So demand on products went quadrupled. And that also created demand for staffing that was happening at a time in which the whole environment around us was tragic and extremely emotional. And so in order to offset that a little bit, um, to enable people to focus in on what we needed to do as community members, the system in and of itself and our ability to operate this with that system over time was a lifesaver for us. I mean, for us, it, it helped us be there when we needed to the most and when the community needed us to be present with them and create a space of, of flow for them so that they didn't have the other things or irritants to have to navigate, we were able to do that. Yeah. And I think that from a leader's perspective, from my perspective, I had learned through this process the intimate details of how the work was done and how the system operated. So as I was leading the team through this period of time, we were all in, in a synergistic way thinking similarly. So the decisions that were getting made didn't work in, in absence of what was needed to happen or what needed to happen on the front line. It was working along with it. At times right now, I, I look at and I talk to many leaders right now who are trying to figure out their business and the complexity that's happening. And I, I can't speak for the healthcare industry. I can only imagine how incredibly challenging it is. However, I do, I do want to believe that for those who have a under, better understanding of what's happening on the front line, they're in a position of being able to mobilize resources that much faster to actually serve the customers who are coming in. And whether that customer is in a grocery or whether that's someone who is sick who needs healthcare, or if that is a, a restaurant that's trying to, to convert their operation to a delivery business yeah. or a takeout business. 
those that have the good fortune of actually understanding how that work gets done, they're able to lead and mobilize very quickly right now because they have the advantage of actually understanding what needs to occur in order to mobilize it versus making decisions as I did in the past, in the far past, um, where I thought I knew the answers. I could assume what was happening, but I didn't really know. And what I didn't realize at that period of time back in the day, that the decisions I was making was actually making it more difficult and more challenging to actually mobilize people and resources to get certain things done back in 2008. Yeah, and it just makes me sad because I think there's businesses that would benefit today from lean systems, but it's too late. Like they, they kind of have to be already lean to benefit. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I challenge us in thinking that way because it feels like it takes longer to think in this way and they may not have the developed system, but they are able to actually go understand or find out from who is on the front line, how they're actually approaching certain components of work. Mm -hmm. And able to see things that people are spending time doing because they believe it's part of the work, but it's really just waste. It's wasting time and resource and people's effort and emotional energy. It's really not removing the waste and getting the value to the customer that needs it sooner. And with some level of that thinking right now, you could create some basic routine yeah. That enables you to start to stabilize pretty quickly and create a cycle of improvement quite quite quickly, actually, I think. I'm going to ask you to read a, a short passage from your book, if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> That's not a smile. Which page? <laughs> the final passage, page 96, after the three asterisks, all the way through the end of the book, the in the last part of your book, you share nine principles. If you want to mention what those nine principles are first, because we can close this out by having you read the passage, but you want to give us just the headlines of those nine lessons and then read this. Okay, so nine lessons to share. The first is to go see. As a leader, know that you really can't understand a problem unless you can go see the problem and observe it with those who are doing that work. The second lesson is standardization can set us free. And that is a belief and a trust that if we perform work in a common way, we can then see problems in the same way against that common. And we can begin to solve problems that delivers greater value for the customer. The third lesson is freedom requires careful preparation. And that means Really, it's the daily rigor of problem solving and staying true to developing our capability in this thinking that prepares you for when it's needed most. And in our, our example was Newtown. In today's example, it is the pandemic. But you can't prepare any sooner than every single day. Well said. Fourth lesson is best thinking is preferable to best practices. And that is to try and strive to not rob people of the opportunity to think. And as a leader, our role is to coach others to think through the problems that they're working through that is inside their work. 
and how do we help share frameworks of thinking so each individual can solve their problems versus provide a best solution or best practice and believe that it applies to all problems that are looking similar but they're not actually similar. The fifth lesson is respect for beginners which kind of ties to the best thinking and knowing that through this process of changing how we think about business by applying lean thinking every single time someone becomes introduced to this level of thinking they are in and of themselves a beginner and we need to all enable and allow those who are new to this learning experience to have the experience of learning it and support them in a way of, of not forgetting that so that we don't take that thinking away or that experience away from them. The sixth lesson is beware of the next big thing. Clearly in business, we are always innovating and pushing the boundaries of product and service development. And it is part and parcel of recognizing that those things need to occur, but how do they occur in the minds of this approach to the thinking and how work gets done? Not as something that is different that distracts you from what you have adopted as a core belief within the business structure and the way to manage the business. The seventh lesson is respect for people means taking care with your questions. And that again is a reminder to respect the person that is providing the value, the direct value to the customer. And how do you discover and seek to really understand how that work is done and not make assumptions that you know as a leader how that work is being done and ask in a way that, that enables them to actually share openly the way that work is getting done. The eighth lesson is a truly excellent people development program does not spring from training alone. And that is to call us out in sending people to training classes and believing that they have learned how to do something by doing that. And though that is one important component of training, it is not in and of itself encompassing of a training program. And nothing can really replace practicing things that you're thinking and learning about with someone who cares enough to coach you through that learning experience as you practice. The ninth lesson is make a strategic partner out of HR. And that really calls out the human resources practices function of most organizations is in service to all of those people within the organization who are doing the work to deliver the value for the customer that they're purchasing. How can we stand shoulder to shoulder with our human resource partners? Um, and observe how the work is done to reimagine how our roles actually serve those who are doing the work. So those are the nine lessons. And then I will read this final page and a half. So much of this work is about laying a good foundation and then being open to seeing, really seeing how everything interacts. This is a moment like this that happens on the Farmington River. When Brian and my sons and I have done the early work of going to see the river's conditions, when the insects have hatched and the flies have been tied and we're finally fishing, there's a moment when just me and the water is pushing against the hip waders and my fishing line shushing overhead as it acts back and forth that I disappear into everything, into the landscape that's all around, or watching my son Lewis swirl the entire line overhead and drop his fly gently into the waiting mouth of a rainbow trout, 
But when Brian steps into deep water, fights with the current, as the fish on the end of his line leaps out of the water, we always look to each other. And it's in these moments because we shared the victory is sweeter. It is magical, but it only comes from doing the work, going to sea, preparing the foundation, and in this case of working with lean operating system, be willing to change the way you interact with people. The moment that we become curious instead of controlling, I am sure, is a moment that we take a step forward, becoming better leaders. When we find real joy in seeing the eyes of a team member lighten up and sudden comprehension, we become kind of leader who makes a meaningful and lasting impression. A lean operating system is never just confined to operations. It affects every facet of the organization and all the people within it. Whether the company has one site or 10,000, a transformation like this will take an organization through triumph and struggles and people will be changed as a result. After all, a lean operating system is not a static thing. It's not a latte, I used to say. It is a growing ecosystem that needs nurturing and attention. When you think the work is done, that means you have probably stopped paying attention. I'm still surprised at the twists and turns our story took. We have several iterations of going to see the work and then learning and relearning how to solve problems before we began to see real change. And then when we, the change happened, it was like a wave that gathered its own energy. Because of that change, we were able to find peace and inspiration while working within the eye of a terrible tragedy. The great American poet and essayist, Henry David Thoreau said, it is not what you look at that matters, it is what you see. After my experiences, I would expand upon that to do this work we need to be able to truly see, and then we must allow ourselves and our minds and our actions to be changed, to see the truth and be changed by how we evolve. That is lovely. That is the last passage from Karen's book, Steady Work which I'm going to make a shameless plug for people to buy, discuss. I can promise you that over time, we will be finding ways to help guide conversations through book clubs, study questions that we want to spread the word. So, uh, Karen, uh, I just want to say thanks. This was really fun. And congratulations on the book. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it. It's been fun to talk about it. I want to thank LAI's Karen Gaudet for her inspiring and instructive talk about her book and about the relevance of patient, humble, steady work. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for improvements, please send them to us at pod, P-O-D, at lean.org. My thanks to Emma Ripp, Lori Moniz, and Pat Panchak for help with production. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to this episode of WLEI.